Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. This episode of the AR-15 Broadcast sponsored by Otis Technology, the official cleaning and lubricant sponsor of the AR-15 Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the AR-15 podcast. On today's episode, J.D. and I are going to be talking about the apocalypse and what four firearms we would want to take with us. Because, you know, in those moments, we have nothing better to do. J.D. and I tend to BS about crap like that. So we're going to share with you all because I'm, I'm sure that's just going to make your day. We're trying, right. to just, we're trying to justify our uh, constant text messages back and forth going, well, what about this or what about that? So uh, we're going to bring you into it and also uh, give you an opportunity to uh, sound off on what your four would be and some accessories that you would take. And we'll share those in a, a listener feedback show coming up soon. So uh, be sure to take notes. Uh, it won't be graded on a curve. It won't be graded at all. If you send in a, a submission or your ideas, uh, you'll actually pass the class with flying colors. Reed will give you a diploma, and uh, I'll try to find a tassel for you made out of extra parts that are laying around here. In the so it's kind <laughs> of like the Millennium approach to podcasting. It's a participation trophy. You just had to kill the whole thing right there. <laughs> now, now nobody's going to participate because they don't want the participation trophy. I can find some. Uh, All right, no trophies, oldest. no prizes. We're no just trophies, gonna, no prizes. We're gonna, we're gonna pirate whatever it is you sent to us and put it on the podcast actually i tell you what i'll do for everybody who emails us in uh, a response to uh, let me grab the email real quick uh, ar15.podcast at gmail.com that's ar15.podcast at gmail.com everybody who submits their four firearms and accessories and engages with the show uh, i will put your guys's name in a literal hat and uh pull out to uh, get away, give away an Otis cleaning kit. Um, Otis just hooked us up with a bunch of stuff for you guys. So we'll do an Otis cleaning kit. Um, and then their new MC10 uh, lubricant and cleaning um, chemicals solvent. that we'll throw solvent that we'll throw in there too. So I'll, I'll throw those two things in to somebody who is um, engaged with the show. So ar15.podcast at gmail.com. Your four firearms you take to the apocalypse. And give us a little reason why. And then um, also any feedback you'd like to leave, read, except for no eating on the show. We're not going to ever address that again. <laughs> All right. So I just bribed him. You said no participation trophies. And I just said, hey, participate, and I'll bribe you. Well, at least it's a participation raffle. It's a little different. There's some luck involved. Yeah, true, true, true. So um, up next, we want to say thank you to Steve, Jason, and Tom. Uh, policing brass and uh, that is where we talk about supporting the show through patreon and paypal 100 percent of your donations are invested back in the show in fact we just had a board kind of go uh adios on us right before we started the show today so we will have to replace that and we can because you guys support the show several people support it at uh, the old salty iron level uh, Jason, Tom, and Steve, uh, many others getting involved in supporting the show. Uh, every dollar that you guys put in goes right back to the show, and it's really important. Uh, right now, I have all the time to put in the show as I'm uh, going through a career change, but uh, not a lot of funds. So uh, everything 
uh, has to come from the support of the listeners of the show. So if you could spare a couple bucks a month, or maybe you want to make just a, a $20 one-time donation to help out the show, you can do that through PayPal too. Go to our website, ar-15podcast.com. That's ar-15podcast.com. And uh, you can help the show out there. All right. Well, I think with that, it's about time for us to uh, talk about what we've been up to this last week. So, uh, JD, I think, uh, you've had the, the more exciting week. I'm going to let you gonna fill up this time right now. So tell me, what have you been up to? So doing the, um, career change, um, uh, that kind of came out of the blue. Um, I've been trying to have some ideas cause I don't want to be, I don't want to be normal. I'm not normal, but I wanted to kind of do something that I was passionate about. I'm passionate about broadcasting. I'll probably get back into it soon, but, uh, I really enjoy, I've done social media for several radio stations, um, and marketing stuff. So I really wanted to get into that end on firearms. And so I've got a couple companies that I'm working with right now to do social media and uh, marketing stuff through. Um, if you're interested, you can always reach out to me. It's jd.ar15podcast at gmail.com. That's jd.ar15podcast at gmail.com. Uh, working with some really good friends to go through that. So one of the things was uh, to go out into the desert and shoot some photos of some of the guns with a very talented uh, photographer, um, Warrior Rush, who does a lot of desert landscaping. And so we were able to incorporate that. So we went out, we spent about three hours um, taking pictures of a bunch of guns, doing different things. Uh, our friends at RTT Firearms had some stuff done. I did some stuff with Dave at New Frontier Armory, some of his uh, C9s and C5s uh, that I own. And, uh, also a TPM Outfitters, my MP5 SD, but, uh, had a, had a great time doing it. And then of course, with all these guns in the back of my truck, we decided to go shoot. Uh, it was the first time in probably three months that I got to let loose. And so their family was out there. My whole family was out there. We were able to shoot around and have some fun. Um, and I got to shoot, uh, the C5 and C9 pistols and, um, the AR pistols. And, you know, I wasn't really, ever thinking I'd be a big fan of them, but, um, the more I shoot them, the more it's just like, man, this is, this is pretty sick. And so the C5 is going to get a battle arms development PDW stock on it. I mean, SBR it. And, um, I think the C9, uh, the C9 will probably just stay the way it is, but I, I really enjoy, uh, shooting them now. And, you know, I had to do the whole, you know, dual yielding, wielding thing. You know, I did it once. Um, they're kind of, you know, shooting a nine millimeter like that, it's easier, but, uh, after about 30 rounds, your wrists start to hurt a little bit. Uh, but I had a lot of fun doing that and, uh, it was beautiful out there in the desert. Also, it was the first time, um, I got to use the Peltor 500s. Um, Peltor teamed up with us at Shot Show and, uh, really comfortable hearing protection. Um, they have the Bluetooth built in so I can listen to music as I'm shooting and doing other things. And, um, really enjoy them for the price. You can't beat, um, the per hearing protection they offer and just the comfort, uh, even to the point where, you know, I was wearing my hat and they have an opening on the top to where it's not pressing, uh, down in my hat where you have that kind of that bean on the top of the hat. So I uh, really impressed with the Pelter 500 is the first time I've been able to take them out. Um, trying to think what else I've got going on. Um, oh, and, Shameless plug here, uh, as I am in between jobs. So I've had to slim down some of the stuff. I have a complete, um, Creedmoor upper, uh, 22 inch barrel. Uh, it's the M5 platform from Arrow. Um, that is just sitting on my bench. And at this time, uh, expanding into the Creedmoor platform and affording glass for it and everything is just, 
not uh, not in my ballpark. So if uh, you're interested in that, you shoot me an email, jd.ar15podcast at gmail.com, or shoot a message to our Facebook page uh, if you're interested in picking that up. I'm looking to get rid of it. It's uh, posted on our local uh, Nevada Shooter site. So it's been a pretty busy week with firearms. Um, we're also teaming up. Right now we've got the giveaway going on for the C5, but uh, Google keeps hosing me. Um, so I know I'm trying to find a way to get the contest link up. I'm going to just keep checking and we will let you guys know through social media. And even if you want an email, when it goes active, uh, please shoot us an email. But, um, Google's kind of screwing with me right now on the whole gun platform thing. So, uh, trying to figure out a way for that. But with that being said, our holiday giveaway is going to be perfect for that person who would like to build an AR-15, uh, who has built an AR-15 and wants to do another one or has never built an AR-15 and just doesn't have the funds to put it together. It is going to be something very cool and it is going to come from our main topic sponsor, Unbranded AR. I uh, had several awesome conversations with Rocky um, over the past uh, couple weeks and really excited for that. Uh, other things to look forward to on the show, uh, Palmetto State Armory. Spent some time on the phone with the CEO there. Uh, they've had a little bit of a changing of the guard and doing some things a little bit differently and uh, looking forward to having them on the show in the next couple of weeks. So uh, a lot of things happen. Like I said, I got a lot of time. I just don't have a lot of funds uh, to invest in the show. So uh, that's what's been going on with me, man. Well, that's pretty dang awesome. Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh this last week I've been a tax man, so nothing really exciting. Just, I guess, living the dream, making a living. <laughs> but soon enough, we'll be through. In fact, uh, JD, weren't you saying you wanted to come out to Dallas so you could rub it in that you have that, uh, MP5? Yeah, I don't know about, I don't know about rubbing it in, but, uh, hanging out with good people right now when I have time is kind of a, kind of a priority. So I think, uh, making it out to Dallas to hang out with Reed and, um, going out to the range and seeing if I can hit something 10 feet away with iron sights would be a pretty good show. <laughs> we should actually do a show from the range after we're done shooting. I mean, if it's not blowing up there, but, um, that'd be kind of fun to do a debrief from the, from the drive home after shooting at the range. And then you can tell everybody how horrible of a shot I am. And I can tell everybody how you can hit like the hair off a dog's back at 75,000 yards. <laughs> It's just easy. You just have to get into the zen of it all. The zen, yeah. Is that why I see you like cross your legs like Buddha before you take each shot? And That's go, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, you know, we bandy about the idea of the apocalypse from time to time and, 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 you know, the, the theory behind what it would take to, to make it. And, you know, it's all good fun, but, you know, I think in many instances, uh, the same kind of thought processes go into just about any crisis management situation. You have a problem. You have to come up with a solution. You have to figure out how to implement a solution and how to basically adjust on the fly. There's a, there's a great deal of, of, I guess, preparing going through these thought processes. You know, obviously, you can't prepare for everything and nobody's got all the answers because nobody knows everything that's going to happen, but I still think it's fun. So four firearms that you would have with you for the end of the world. Let's start out with just a couple of thoughts. Uh, 
what do you think is important? What do you think is vital? So for me, like close in caliber, like when I picked two of my, my firearms, like they shot the same round, um, common, the common denominator of the round, making sure it's like, cause as much as like, we love the Timberwolf and the Creed more and those things like that, chances are it's going to be pretty scarce unless you live next to the dude from Tremors. I mean, if you live next to the dude from Tremors, why are you even listening to this podcast? Just go sit at his feet and listen to him obviate about things. But the common calibers, um, being able to find it easily, you know, and then things you're familiar with. I mean, trying to fix and take care of. I mean, being able to maintain. So, like, I could go out and get put a minigun on my list, but if a minigun breaks, I have no idea how to fix it. I mean, no clue. But then again... One of the guns on my list, if it breaks, I'm going to have to call Reed. So I'm going to have to hope for cell service during the apocalypse. Or I'm just going to have to make sure that Reed's on my apocalypse team. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I think for me, the, the, the chief thought in any exercise like this is, uh, how are you going to accommodate the cessation of modern amenities? So modern production, end of the world, pretty much stops. You know, whatever that end of the world scenario may be, I think realistically people are going to want to uh, begin looking out for their own, their families, their friends. And nobody's worried about the nine to five. They're just worried about today or tomorrow. They're worried about survival. So, you know, the thought is long term, how are we going to maintain uh the same level of effectiveness, you know, a month into a collapse uh, versus five years into a collapse. And so I think for me, some of my thought processes go through <coughs> to that end. And those are the things that kind of keep me awake at night when I'm pondering the, the you know, difficult questions about, you know, end of the world. But I'm um, thinking extreme, extreme target you know, you'd have to like really decide if you're going to shoot that target or not. Oh yeah. And I also think it would bring back headshots. I mean, well, you're assuming like zombification, right? No, no. I mean, look, if you're going to have to shoot at somebody in the apocalypse, I mean, what you're going to shoot a warning shot? No, oh, no, no. Center mass. You, you've been put, center you've mass. Been put, yeah, center mass right the bridge of the <laughs> right there. It's not Boom. center mass. Come on. No, for me, center mass is like the size of a barn. For you, center mass is like the size of a quarter in the middle of some dude's skull. But I think like you'd have to extreme like you'd you'd have to make sure you want to pull the trigger, knowing that every time you pull the trigger, your resources are going down. Oh, Even yeah. if you reload, your resources is going down. Oh, like yeah. you're gonna have to make the judgment call whether that shot is worth that bullet. Because that bullet's no longer a thirty-four cent bullet, or if you're shooting three oh eight a 90 cent bullet. That bullet is now 30, 40, 50 bucks, maybe even a hundred bucks pop. I mean, 22 is probably, could you imagine the price you could pay for a brick at 22 in the apocalypse? Oh, that would be steep. Probably gold. I mean, a box of 500. I mean, well, but I mean, I don't even think that's realistic. I know everybody says gold is the thing to have, but you know what? You can't eat gold. Can't grow gold. Can't kill something with gold. Gold has absolutely no intrinsic value. Put it over my teeth. I want to melt it down and put it over my teeth and have a grill, man. Yeah, you're gonna be like Redbeard the apocalypse pirate, huh? 
I like it. Maybe I should start my own line of fictional books. Redbeard, the Apocalypse Pirate. <laughs> so, you know, I put a little thought into my list, and I, I think that you and I are at, at different levels, but let me go ahead and start. You know, of course, it being the AR-15 podcast, me personally having the uh, the experience and the attachment I have to it, I'm, I'm going to put at the top of my list an AR-15. Now, J.D., we said we'd go through the accessories later, so I'm not going to elaborate at this point on what my AR-15 is going to be kitted out with. But suffice it to say, it's going to be an AR-15. Um, you know, I think realistically, from my perspective, a shotgun is a very beneficial tool to have. So I personally like the Benelli M4 as a shotgun. And that would be my first choice in terms of a shotgun to have with me. Um, the next firearm in the list uh, begins my um, marriage of, like you said, the idea that you should have some similarity in cartridges between what it is you're going to carry with you and the ammunition you're going to have to pack. So I'm going to start out with a Marlin 1894 uh, Chamberlain 45 Colt. You know, I like the lever action. It's a simple design. Um, and let me, let me go through my number four so I can tie the three and four together with some of my thinking. Um, my number four option would be a Colt 1860 Army. Now, that's um, one of the old percussion revolvers, but understand that they have conversion cylinders for the 1860 Army that allow you to shoot the 45 Colt. So my thought process is this. You know, into the world, we're not talking about, you know, last man standing, last man on earth kind of thing. We're talking about, you know, uh, serious decline in the veneer of civilization befalls us all. And so while the modern niceties are, I think, going to quickly deteriorate, I don't think we're going to have the Internet. We're not going to have telecommunications. We're probably going to be lucky if we can maintain power grids or even power generating systems. But suffice it to say, those last two choices are pre-industrial revolution um, items. So in my thinking, I like the idea that were we to shave a 100, 150 years off of our civilization, we'd get to the point where we could take care of any of those firearms with turn-of-the-century technology turn-of-the-century techniques, uh, turn-of-the-century whatever the case may be. So that's kind of my thought. J.D., what are you thinking? Are you there? I am here. Okay. It locked up. Well, I just elaborated on what my thought process was. Did you hear any of it? So you're saying that the Hangout saved me from your thought process? Oh, my goodness. You're really going to say that. My <laughs> thought processes are gold. I mean, we're talking, we're mining rich veins of gold when I, when I talk. I thought gold was worthless <laughs> in the apocalypse. Yeah, but the apocalypse is not upon us. <laughs> no, the whole idea is that these are turn of the century, pre-industrial revolution, revolution firearms. Yeah. And so yeah. the idea that you can go back to a time where these can be repaired or you can find uh, comparable items using those same, you know, pre-industrial revolution technologies, 
I, I think that that's a very conceivable point. And, you know, I think more to the point, while modern smokeless powders may, you know, uh, elude us if, you know, the system were to decline, you know, they've been making black powder for centuries. We can go back to the manufacture of that black powder relatively quickly because it is one of the foundational technologies of firearms. And so one of the reasons I chose the uh, Colt 1860 Army is that even if we you know, find ourselves in a place where you don't have brass, you can't have, you know, cartridge, you know, ammunition, um, you put the old 1860 cylinders on it and you're dealing with percussion. You know, your percussion caps can be, I would say, far more readily formed than you would, say, be able to, you know, manufacture new brass. And the technology in priming those uh, percussion caps is, once again, it's old foundational technology. You're not dealing with the, the modern chemical uh, components that you would in modern primers. So I think that kind of bridges a gap from the, you know, what are we going to do in that space six months after the end of the world to, you know, five years or ten years down the road. You know, ten years down the road, being able to load a, you know, cap and ball revolver is going to put you uh, light years ahead of everybody else that doesn't have any ammunition. So, you know, the first two, of course, you know, the, you know, the 556 five, is a ubiquitous round. You can find, you know, the ammunition in many places. I'm sure many people have it stockpiled. I think that would be a relatively easy round to come across in a, an apocalypse situation. And then the Benelli M4, it's 12 gauge shotgun round. So once again, you know, I think that that falls in line with the same idea. And, you know, here, here's an example. You know, I, I walk through my local Cabela's and I look at the ammunition selections that are uh, in rifle calibers. And, you know, there's a number, a uh, multitude of choices, but there's not enormous volumes in each of the different categories. Certainly the more popular ones are, you know, a lot more uh, available. But if you walk an aisle over and you're walking down the aisle with all the shotgun shells, there is an enormous quantity of 12-gauge shells on hand. And so, to me, that kind of speaks to the idea that, you know, once again, that's another one of those ubiquitous rounds that's going to be uh, probably more prevalent than many others. And I think it's a very effective round for many different purposes. So, I think that kind of rounds out my, my list of four firearms I'd like to have with me come the end of the world. So mine, not as in deep or pre-industrial revolution as reads, um, mine was focused with what I was familiar with, um, things that I have already that I would be comfortable breaking down, fixing, uh, taking care of, lubricating, and stuff like that. So number one, uh, for me, it was a 9mm handgun. Uh, my choice is I have several um, HKs, but uh, between the HKs and the Glock 17, um, my 9mm USP has a threaded barrel, and so does my Glock 17. Um, so we'll talk about that later into the accessories. But 9mm, fairly easy cartridge that you'd be able to find, I believe, you know, probably one of the most available cartridges around. Um, next up would be a sub gun. Um, I have a couple in nine millimeter. I have the new frontier armory C five C nines, which would be just fine. 
But if we're going to be in the end of the world apocalypse and I have to be quiet, uh, I would pick my MP5 SD. I think being quiet and being able to eliminate a threat or to hunt or anything like that would be uh, quite a plus. Um, up third would be a 12-gauge shotgun, Mossberg 500 or a Benelli M4, uh, something that you could use um, in a close quarters defense or even uh, hunting in a way. Um, and 12 gauge being pretty easily defined. Um, so being the AR 15 podcast, I went with, um, a five below read. Uh, I decided on an AR 10, uh, something that you could, uh, use to defend yourself, but also could use to hunt with. Um, so I would do an AR 10 and 308. 308 being a pretty standard caliber, you'd be able to find not as easy as 12 gauge or nine millimeter, but probably not something you would use. A lot of, if you had 100, 200 rounds of 308 stashed for that rifle for hunting purposes or whatever, you could probably defend yourself with the sub gun, with the 12 gauge, with the nine millimeter and use that solely for hunting. Unless you needed to reach out and touch somebody at 25 yards like I would have to. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think that is a kind of a diverse. Now, one of the things I didn't think about. Uh, when we were doing this, was the five five six being more available than the uh, than the three hundred eight? But being able to hunt with the three hundred eight, um, I mean, you could still hunt with the five five six, but having a little bit more distance and uh, power behind it. Um, do I regret any of my choices? Twelve gauge nine mil. I think the one thing that I see on this list that for both of us, Reed would be. Neither one of us chose a twenty-two. You know, I I understand that, but you know, I'm not sold on it. Um, you know, I know it's a very utilitarian firearm, but here's the other thing. You know, I think being realistic, you could probably come across a twenty-two just about anywhere. Um, that- so, so Reed's planning on using his Colt to rob somebody of their twenty-two, <laughs> if if necessary. Nice. I'm going to use my 308 to rob somebody of a tank. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what what accessories do you think? You know, the the, the Colt 1860 Army, yeah, there, there's not much you can do to it. Um, so, I mean, other than having some conversion cylinders that will shoot the 45 Colt and having the, the stock cylinders that are cap and ball, you know, just – as much of the hard-to-find things as, as you might need. So I'd probably have bullet molds. You know, certainly, uh, you know, I think that you can come up with some pretty straightforward relo- reloading tools, um, portable reloading tools. I know that I've seen a, a Lee kit that has uh, the ability to load on the on the fly, they're all hand tools. None of them require a bench and a big press. And so to me, that would be kind of an ideal approach when you're talking about uh, the 45 Colt. So uh, those would be the kinds of accessories I'd want to, I'd want to take. And, you know, when you start thinking about the availability of lead, I mean, there's a, there's a host of places that you could easily track down some lead. I mean, just walking through a parking lot, you could probably mine an enormous amount of lead just off tires or wheels um, in terms of the balancing weights. Uh, lead batteries, you know, I got to think that you could pull that out of those. 
Um, you know, I think other than that, you know, just some of the basic, uh, things like a ladle, you know, certainly some kind of a pan to melt lead into. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking that that would be a, a good sound investment. Now, whether you'd want to carry all that with your, you know, have it stashed in a cache somewhere, I don't know. Um, you know, in terms of the Marlin, you know, certainly the, the, the Marlin's capable of, uh, mounting an optic. I don't know that I'm a fan of the idea of putting a, a scope on a Marlin. You know, certainly we're not talking about a, a 3030 or, you know, any of the bigger cartridges. And so I, I see it less as a hunting gun and, and more as a kind of a, an intermediate range or a shorter range, uh, defensive weapon. You know, the Benelli M4, I think, would be uh, closer to a weapon that would suffice for hunting. Uh, while it wouldn't have the barrel length, I think certainly you, you have a good shot at taking down a rabbit or perhaps a, a bird if you if you learn how to stalk and uh, do what you need to do to be a bird hunter. Uh, I'm not a bird hunter, so uh, I may be way off base there, but <coughs> I got to think that with all that buckshot or uh, shot coming out of a uh, an M4 out of a 12 gauge, you got to be able to hit something and have it for dinner. Um, in terms of the the 1894, you know, I've seen some that are threaded uh, for suppressors. I don't think that's a bad idea. You know, having a suppressor for the Colt would be, a, I think, an interesting approach, uh, or for the Marlin would be an interesting approach. Uh, for the 1860 Army, I think you're just SOL. There's there's not really much more you can do with it. Uh, the Benelli N4, I'm, I'm not really sold on the idea of a shotgun suppressor. Um, I know that they're effective. I just don't know that I'd want to carry all that extra length on the end of a shotgun. And, uh, you know, I think perhaps some kind of a sight, the Benelli, mine has the ghost ring sight, so perhaps a red dot or an RMR, something mounted on the rail. And then the AR-15, certainly suppressed. You know, geez, optics, what to pick, what to pick. You know, certainly I think the idea of being able to put a good long-range optic on there would be beneficial. So, you know, I think I'm going to go with, uh, what is it, the uh, Trichicon VCOG, the 1 to 6, 1 to 8 power with a true 1 to 1. I think that would be a good approach because I think it kind of bridges the gap. And then I think with an illuminated reticle, it, it might, might be a very, very effective tool. So I think that's going to, that's going to round it out. Um, for my accessories, uh, I'd need, uh, cleaning kits, uh, tools. Oh, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Those aren't accessories. Yeah, they are. If you need to. Those are found. Those are, that's necessary equipment. (laughs) So cleaning kit. (laughs) An accessory attaches or belongs to the firearm. Okay. Okay. So a cleaning kit that'll attach to my. Oh, shush. But uh, cleaning kit tools, uh, definitely. Um, for the for the handgun, definitely suppressed. Um, I'd go with something that is like a forty five, like a, an octane. So that way, if I needed to switch out or found something else, I could use it on different calibers. The odds of finding another threaded barrel on a forty or a forty five in ammunition probably slim. Um, on the MP five, probably sticking with the the iron sights. Uh, that are on it. Don't see a need to do anything else. Um, maybe a light on the, like a light on the Mossberg or the Benelli. 
Um, on the AR-10, definitely something something long range, one of the Vortex scopes uh, to put on it so it could reach out and go a little bit and probably an offset uh, red dot uh, on the side for closer up so I could do the homie shoot. Um, I'm going to say slings on all of them, um, except for the 9mm, the handgun. <sighs> trying to think. Um, definitely shoot like, a Saker on the 308 so it's quiet. Um, of course we can, we all know that I'm a silencer co fanboy, so, um, I can do that. Um, accessories. I like the light, like a light. That's about it. I don't have, I don't have any deep, like, I'm pretty, pretty basic, to be honest. So why pick a light? I think a light in some situations where you're clearing a room or clearing a building or clearing a house or you just need to light somebody up in front of you to make sure you can identify and, uh, go through like threat management to know if they're a threat at the level of 10 or the level of one to be able to identify them. Uh, if they're close quarters, that's why I would say it on the shotgun because you're not going to light somebody up from 400 yards to see them, uh, on a 308 or some, even the sub gun. You, if you're going to be close quarters and you're clearing a house like that, you probably want to light on the end of your shotgun. So that way you can see and identify friend or foe as you're moving through the house. <laughs> You know, I guess to me, the the concern that I have kind of revolves around the idea of sustainability, right? You know, certainly lights are great, but how long are your batteries going to last? How long are you going to be able to find batteries? I mean, even if you go and get rechargeable batteries, which the last time I put rechargeable batteries in a uh, weapon light, it blew out the bulb. Um, But let's say that you have more modern ones that won't. You know, how are you going to recharge it? Even if you have a, you know, voltaic cell charger, a solar panel, how long is that going to last? You know, these are just the things that go through my mind. And, you I know, think the, I think the light will serve its purpose within the first however long you're able to, to maintain it. You're not going to have it on all the time, but you can use it when you need it. I think over time, the threat level is going to go down because you're going to weed out a lot of the, a lot of the bad apples are going to weed themselves out. And then knowing that, society is going to have to form into something like it's not going to be lawlessness forever. I'd imagine after six months to a year, things are going to start to settle. Those that ascend to power are going to start creating some sense of normalcy. And so there's going to be a reestablishment now, like an EMP wipes everything out. They're going to rebuild. Um, Economic collapse wipes everything out. They're going to rebuild, you know, famine rebuild, uh, Outbreak, re- rebuild. Epidemic, rebuild. Um, the only thing we don't rebuild from is a super volcano. We just all die. <laughs> and at that point, it doesn't matter um, how many firearms you have. If the super volcano goes off in Yellowstone and um, it, it it goes big, the only thing that's going to save you is John Cusack. Other than that, <laughs> you're host. Like you need to, you need to be in the back of that guy driving a limo, him flying a plane, him trying to get you on a big arc, him trying to save you. Of course, I'm referencing 2012 the movie, but like, and at some point when you're having a low moment, you feel like your world's collapsing. You know he'll stand outside your window and hold up a boombox for you. Oh, there you go, there you go. <laughs> you know, I, I I appreciate that, but the the one of the thoughts in my mind is that. Having the firearms is not about being offensive. You know, I think it's about survival and survival is, you know, escape and evasion, you know, not in, you know, 
seeking to engage um, the unknown. So you, you know, think a light, a light is seeking to engage the unknown? No, I'm just thinking. You know, it it's weight. Uh, how long are you going to be able to carry batteries and all the tools to sustain it? But think, but think then, about this: you f- you find your home base, you find where you're at, whether it's your home or you find a safe place with a group of people. You don't have power. Like we're assuming, you don't have power at night. You hear a bump in the night. You're not on the offensive. You're on the defensive looking for that offensive threat that's coming in to harm because you've got loved ones, you've got people you care about. So like to me in that situation, carrying batteries and carrying a flashlight is kind of vital that you can identify friend or foe. Cause the last thing you want is to not be able to see the threat, not be able to identify it because it can lead to you getting dead or maybe somebody snuck out and is trying to do something. And they're coming back in and it's part of your group. And all of a sudden their like whole midsection is missing because you just blew a hole through them, and it's like yeah, but now little Timmy we, is we've already solved forever. those problems, and we didn't have lights. I'm just saying, I mean, the light makes look it easy. look at the Normandy invasion. They didn't require lights. That's a different. They use yeah, calls and counter calls. So, they use the clickers. They use any number of uh, techniques to do the exact yeah, same thing. Those guys had balls so freaking big. Well, I like, tell you what. If the world is going to end, your balls are going to have to be that freaking big or you're going to be in a grave. Well, I guess I'm going to be in a grave when it starts because, man, my balls aren't that big. <laughs> that's bonus content right there. I don't think we marked that explicit. I just think that's stating the facts. <laughs> you know – I have to tell you that I mean the modern warfighter is a scary, scary um, thing. But the modern warfighter is supported by um, big bank books, uh, lots of equipment, quartermasters, uh, supply chains. Uh, the very best of us go out there, and they are supported in ways that you know are probably not even truly understood or known to, you know, all of us sitting here, you know, in the comfort of our homes. But, you know, realistically, if you're talking about the kind of event that is so catastrophic that we're really able to do some of these things, I mean, the supply chain is not there, not for us. The, the tools and the equipment that make you that much more effective and that much deadlier are not there either. And so I'm kind of of the opinion that it serves very little purpose to try to go to a place where you're relying on things that really aren't going to be there for that long. Well, and we I can think, say that about any of the, any of these things on this list, except for your pre-industrial revolution stuff. I mean, well, exactly. And I think that's kind of the point. The point is, is at some point you may very well have to lay down a tool because you can no longer effectively use it. When you run out yeah. of ammunition, it's just a club. But if you have the ability to uh, go back to the place where we rebuild, and like you said, yeah, we'll rebuild. But, I mean, EMP goes off, the world goes to hell, and we're dealing with the fallout from that. Are we really talking about someone just coming in and replacing a couple of circuit boards and the lights are back up? Or are well, we no, talking what about – What you're talking about is major areas – that are organized and have the resources are going to start rebuilding. It's going to be stringing new electrical wires. It's going to be creating new things. It's going to be mining new material. It's going to take a whole ecosystem or economical system to 
build back True. up. But it and goes that, back to that root. What are the root technologies that we could sustain? You know, your your electrical engineer is virtually useless. But you for, know, for a period of time, but the electrical engineer sure. is going to have the base knowledge of how to rebuild that grid. Because here's the thing. We're not going to go back to the industrial revolution where we're just, where we're doing the rudimentary technology, maybe in the very beginning, but there's going to be this, now call me an ideologist. There's going to be a, an American spirit that wants to, let's get back. Let's, well, let's go to where we need to go. But is that so it's going to 10 start, years it's going to start or is that a hundred years? No, I think, I think it happens a lot quicker than that because first you're going to have the thinning of the herd. Like there's going to be a thinning. You're going to have people who are worthy of getting thinned and you're going to have people, unfortunately, that are not worthy of getting thinned. You're going to have, it's going to limit down and it's going to have to be people getting together and doing what they can to make it happen. And it's going to start from one block. It's going to start from a single house. Then it's going to go to a block. Then it's going to expand out to a community. And that's how it's going to build. And there's going to be hopefully a blueprint for that that's shared in other places. But it's going to take the ingenuity of the American people, seeing as we are in America, to rebuild and do that. I don't think that takes – I don't think – unless it is a natural disaster on the scale of – a super volcano or an asteroid or something like that. I believe the ability for to rebuild will happen quickly. Now, will it happen over six months, a year? No, but I bet that we are leaps and bounds. Like if you were to compare the industrial revolution to this reset, as we'll call it, I believe you would see us in five years and 10 years be a thousand times further down the road than the industrial revolution was. It's going to, it's going to kickstart. They're going to be mining of the minerals that are needed and production of the things that are needed to create. We have the blueprint. We know what to do. We're just going to check them off and move down the road. And I, I hear you, but here's my counterpoint. You talk about the thinning of the herd, but guess who's in that herd? Who? The engineers, the scientists, the men yes, with the not, knowledge. But not all of them. No, not all of them, but some not, of them. Not all of them, but there is going to be. But here's the thing. How many freaking electrical engineers do we need? To make one house work, and then one block, and then one community, but it was so much more intricate. I under I understand what you're saying, but to to get to the base level of electricity being back, and then things like refrigeration, things like well, that'll I mean, save lives. It's easy. You need one person to start up a generator. True, and it's it's hard to repair a generator when you no longer have the parts. It's hard to make a new generator when you no longer have the factories. It's hard to make factories when you no longer have the gigantic mining tools that can pull the resources out of the ground. If you have to go back to shovels and picks, yes, it's going to be a slow process. But if you make, but if you know the blueprint of what to do to succeed, you're going to be able to get there faster than those that didn't have the blueprint to succeed. Sure. And they're still going to be. You're not going to. But, but what's now, the blueprint? If we eliminate every doctor ever in in the thinning of the herd, we're hosed. Yeah, but what's well, the really, blueprint? We have books and we have a blueprint. We have books. We have texts. All right. We have things that won't go away. How much of it's digitized? That goes away. That goes away. Yeah, instantly. that goes that goes away too. But there's still a record of books. There's still those old fogies who are salty and they're former Marines and they have like I'm looking at you right now. You've got. A thousand books behind you. There's probably a book back there to how to take out an appendix and you could do it with a pocket knife. 
there's resources out there. There is the knowledge out there. And there is. And even if, even if we lost all the digitized stuff and we just had books, we will still have people with the, the knowledge in their head to be able to do that, to be able to train people. Cause there's going to come to a point where modern conveniences are gone. The way life was is gone. You're either going to adapt or die. Those are your choices. Sure. You're not going to, but I'm saying that your chicken adaptation doesn't mean that we turn around and all of a sudden it's Star Trek again and we're doing no, warp drive not. engines out of a bombed no, out not. nuclear silo. What but I'm saying is that if you were to look at this uh, apocalyptic event, you can't count on the, the libraries being there. I mean, look at the library of Alexandria. A thousand years of knowledge was burned in a night. And what was remaining we're talking, we're was about. burned another five times over in the multitude of years it took for that uh, storehouse of knowledge to be carried to new places. All of that knowledge was lost. Now, so the library I'm of certain, Congress is burned. The li- library of Congress is burned. Well, I'm talking so, about major cities going up and Yeah, ma- major cities. But in Mayberry, where they have a library there, where they still have the books, and they don't have a digitized But you see, in Mayberry, store. they don't buy all the same books that you have at a university library or at the no, Library of Alex- still have at the library still of Congress. University of Missouri that has their library, or you still have the, the odds of every library. No, no, you're right. Apocalypse. But I think the thing is, is it's just like, you know, some of the engineers are going to go when you have an engineer that knows the electrical components in Seattle, but your mechanical engineer is in Texas and your civil engineer is in Maine. How, how are they going to collectively apply their trade? I'm just saying that they're, are going to be these fractured skills. They're going to be dispersed, you know, uh, just civil unrest. I mean, the things that we that do is. to our cities when we're rioting, we set them on fire. But you know? I think that's in the opening. I think that's in the opening act, whether it takes three months, six months, a year or two years. I think what you're going to find that's going to be surprising is the, the power shift is going to move from the cities to rural America that will yeah. probably survive this a lot better. Absolutely. But the thing is, is you will have that, you will have that old time knowledge in those small cities and you will watch small cities become the epicenter of what's being rebuilt. And what did you, you know, just say coming. there? Old time knowledge. Because that knowledge is there to understand exactly. how to farm, how to mine, but and those things will get those us back to the platform. Places of the are not the institutions or the storehouses of all of the advanced knowledge that you're you're hoping will get turned back on. But I don't. I they, don't disagree with you that we will get back to that point, and I don't disagree with you that it'll be far faster than the first time we ascended the technological um, growth that we had. I'm just saying that it's going to take a lot longer. Than five, I believe in 10, 10 years, 20 years. I believe in 10 years. I think that if we had a we major catastrophic apocalyptic event, we're talking a hundred years before we're even close to, to getting everything back to normal. And I'm thinking you're looking at a generation or two. No, I don't think it's that long. Uh, you can think all you want there, Bucko. So. When was, when was, Hey, I just want to point something out. In all of our prior discussions, when you've had to look at me and admit I was right, how many times has that been? Zero. Um, now, be honest. Be no, honest. Several times. <laughs> several times. I told you you're right. But I'm thinking, like, you think in generations. So think back to Japan in the 90s, 80s and 90s, the rebuild after World War II. Are you kidding me? 
That was the 40s and the 50s, you knucklehead. Yeah, but you're saying several generations. That's 40 years. The rest of the world did not collapse, and Japan did not collapse. Only two cities were bombed to extinction. But I'm telling you, on that small-scale level, I think you could see it a lot sooner to recover. No, because you didn't have the entire infrastructure destroyed. You're just grumpy. I'm not grumpy. I am just soundly adherent to my principles and my theories. See, you need to use smaller words. Theories, principles, adhering. It's all lawyer talk. (laughs) I've talked like this before I was a lawyer. Holy cow. We just went... We didn't go off the rails, but we had a spirited debate. Um, so with that being said, uh, I'm going to ask you, you listening, uh, what four would you pick? Uh, email us at ar15.podcast at gmail.com, ar15.podcast at gmail.com. Also tell us the accessories, and maybe you want to expound on the spirited debate I just had with a lawyer. I should have thought twice before I did that. Um, and we'll uh, share them on an upcoming episode of Listener Feedback. We'll dedicate a whole segment to it um, if you guys want to be involved. We'll also hook you up with the MC10 uh, solvents uh, and also an Otis cleaning kit uh, for 5.56. I also have one that's 5.56 and a 9mm. The winner will be able to choose. So if you'd like to be involved with that, send us your feedback on this show for what four firearms you would pick for the end of the world. Uh, AR15.podcast at gmail.com. That's AR15.podcast at gmail.com. And we'll share them on an upcoming episode. Well, if you, what do you, put what do you think, that here in your response, <laughs> I'll give you two entries. So uh, we're, uh, what would you say we give the listeners two episodes? So the episode after next, we'll revisit this topic. And anybody that has their emails into us, by the time we record that episode, so that should give them a good week, week and a half to to listen to the episode and respond to us, right? Yeah, we'll 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 count um, AR fifteen podcast shows, not loose rounds. All right, sounds good. And uh, with that, you can send us any questions or comment to ar15.podcast at gmail.com or go to the website, ar-15podcast.com. Subscribe and listen to the AR15 Podcast for free on iTunes or on Stitcher. Uh, leave us a review so we can place higher in the searches for potential listeners. Uh, also, share your pics with us on Instagram at ar15podcast. Uh, you can tag us with your pictures, too. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ar15podcast. Also, uh, very important to support the show. Uh, if you could kick in a few bucks a month or maybe make a one-time donation to support the show through PayPal or Patreon, we'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, 100% of your donations are invested right back into the show, uh, never into our pockets, and it helps us bring content production value on the podcast about your favorite black rifle. Uh, you can get to our Patreon and our PayPal links by going to ar-15podcast.com. And with that, that uh, wraps up episode, what episode is this? 253. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.